mighty Atlantic 10 Conference. The call's on him. Five seconds to go. Charlotte Clough gathers for the win. Talk podcast presented by Get Trending Productions. And welcome back to the A10 Talk podcast. I'm your host, Chris Pyle. And tonight I am going in a little bit of a different direction. I gave Anthony and Daniel the night off. Uh, Daniel is actually in Richmond. He's been taking photographs, he's been live tweeting along with Austin Daisy. Um, so he got kind of the night off plus Anthony's St. Joe's Hawks, uh, unfortunately lost today, even though they had an, a nice little run here at the end of the season. Um, so he's busy writing a recap on that and you know, he needs a night off, you know? So tonight I brought on a very special guest. I brought on Tyler from the three bid league podcast. So Tyler, how's it going, man? I am great, Chris, you know, Dayton one. Duquesne won. It's a happy day. Absolutely, man. And, you know, it's kind of funny that you you also have been a lifelong Duquesne fan because, like, my side of the – my dad's side of the family is a big Pittsburgh-oriented uh, family. So uh, I'm a big Pittsburgh supporter and, like, pretty much – like, if I had, like, a second favorite team – I think it'd probably have to be Duquesne just because of my family ties there. So I can get on board with the Duquesne Dayton uh, train. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, I wanted to get started tonight just like learning about you guys and talking to, li- talking to the listeners about uh, you and Matt starting this three bid league podcast. Cause like I was talking to Tyler before the show here um, that, I kind of just stumbled upon their podcast and I've been listening to it for, you know, a couple of years, however long they've been doing it. So, and I don't know if many fans know about, you know, how you and uh, Matt got together and why you started the pod and all that. So just give all the people listening, you know, just the scoop. How'd you guys get started with the three bed league podcast? Yeah. So uh, my co-host, Matt Graber, who unfortunately I think got stuck at work tonight, part of a trade-off to make sure he got to watch the Dayton game today. But uh, we met our freshman year back at Dayton, living in Stewart. We were on the same floor. Um, And then, so we, we were pretty good friends throughout. We actually lived in the same house our senior year. And, you know, honestly, I don't even particularly remember the origins of how it got started. I think it was something we kind of toyed around with the idea for over the years. Um, and, and that season, we just decided it'd be something that would be fun to do. And so basically there we are. 
Yeah, man. Um, and it's just kind of funny. This like random little thing start up and you, you guys and, uh, us at A10 talk, you know, we kind of covered the same stuff. So like, I just decided, you know, tonight to try and incorporate, uh, kind of us together and not a separate interview. Like I normally do like with players and coaches and who, whatnot, but, um, you know, it's, it's great to get another Dayton alum on here. Uh, you know, lifelong, uh, flyer fan, you know, guy that really knows the a10 um so this has been awesome uh how last question here because i mean we kind of do a lot of the same stuff but uh how did the triple nickel come about so this is another thing where the particular moment is a little bit hazy in my mind but my freshman year so i came into school same year as big steve McElvain, and Mm -hmm. So his freshman year, he had, I believe, like two or three five block games. And myself, Matt, and our friend John Horlander, who I want to shout out, another guy who lived with us in Stewart, uh, we would hang out together during those games. And we were trying to come up with a term to kind of capture Steve's great impact. Because for those who remember him, he was a fantastic player, but he never put up big numbers. So a lot of like eight point games, six, seven rebound games. And so basically I think one night he had five plus points, five plus rebounds, five plus blocks. And someone brought up the idea of a triple nickel and we just kind of ran with it. (laughs) You know what? That's honestly like the perfect story and like the perfect tribute to that for anyone who's not familiar. I know what flyer fans are and many who follow the A-10, but uh, Steve McElvain passed away. Uh, while he was with the Dayton program um, back in, I believe it was 2016, if I could, if I remember correctly. Um, oh yeah, I, for some reason, I, I we had so many great games of him that I, for some reason, thought he was there for two years. It was only one, so yeah, it yeah. would have been 2016. Yeah, um, and you know, just a sad story, but he he has the I'm. I think it's the defensive, like the team defensive player of the year um, award named after him. Uh, just like an extreme monster down low. If you ever watched him play, always had a big smile on his face. So honestly, that's a great tribute to him. Yeah. Big um, Steve is a huge reason as to why the triple nickel came about in the first place. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome, guys. I, lo- I love that story. I, I actually had no, uh, no idea it was because of Steve. So that's great. Um, I actually not since you're a Dayton grad, I need to ask a couple of Dayton questions. Um, you guys lived in what dorm freshman year? So we were in Stewart. We were in six. We were on Six Meyer. Okay. Anyone who's uh, Stewart Six Meyer, there you go. Shout out. But I was uh, Mary Crest for middle, and our dorm basically got trashed <laughs> that year. Um, where did you live sophomore year? So sophomore, I'll save you the next question too. Sophomore and junior year, I was in the Frerichs Gardens, um, oh. the ones right underneath Campus South. We were in their sophomore year, and then we literally moved to the apartment directly below us junior year. <laughs> Pretty easy move, except they probably made you move everything out just to move yep. it all back in. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, my sophomore year, I lived VWK and like the very like lower part of the hill. We did that on purpose, obviously. And then junior year, I lived on uh, Woodland Avenue and that was the year of the Elite Eight year. So I lived on the dark side. And then senior year, I lived in 214 Key Faber. What about you, uh, senior year? 
senior year, we closed things out and started recording the pod from the upstairs of uh, 517 Irving. Ooh, Irving Avenue. Nice, nice, nice. So there you go. Any uh, UD fans that have been listening, uh, there's your uh, street shout out. So get all giddy and excited and warm and fuzzy because uh, we lived in probably your streets. Um, but anyone else who's not listening, sorry. We just had to have a Dayton moment. Um, but yeah, let's get to the games because that's why everyone's here, unless you're a Dayton alum. Uh, you're here for everything. So um, let's recap these games here. Uh, first thing is Duquesne and Richmond. So Duquesne ended up pulling out a 67-62 win. Um, looking at the box score here, because personally, I was at work, could not take off for this game, unfortunately. But Chad Baker was the MVP of this game, according to Ken Palm, 16 points, uh, four rebounds, two blocks, three steals. Kind of did a little bit of everything in this one. Um, but Richmond was without Blake Francis. It seemed like from the Twitter feed and from, uh, you know, watching the game cast, um, it really seemed like it was Richmond's game and Duquesne really could not get anything going. And that Duquesne just kind of found a way to pull it out in the end. Am I like on the right track as to what happened looking at those things or what did you see from that game? I'd say basically it was Tyler Burton's game and neither team could get anything going. Uh, yeah, he started out, he got really hot, I think 13 points in the first 10 or so minutes. Um, Duquesne did a great job on Grant Golden all game. I personally would have given Michael Hughes the MVP, even though his offensive stats were pretty bad. But just because of the great work he did on Golden on defense, uh, and you know, he's dealing with the hand injury. Clearly, he's not fully at normal health. And, you know, he wasn't passing the ball as crisply as he normally does. But the one advantage he still has most of the time is just being able to push people around down in the low post. And Michael Hughes was not letting him do that. Um, so, yeah, first half was really just kind of a defensive grind fest. Duquesne just hung around down four points, down six points throughout the game. And then in the final eight or so minutes, the offense really started to get going. Yeah, um, that's that's kind of what I got from this. Um, I think uh, TDM put up a really good shot. I saw that highlight. Like that was very impressive. That seemed to put the game away. Yeah. And uh, so I'm actually bad that they showed that highlight and not the one before it. So about a minute, 10 to go tie game, Chad Baker. And this, this is what might have sealed the MVP performance for him. He hits a contested turnaround from about 15 feet, just banks it in. It was just a ridiculously gutty shot for a freshman to take. I thought that was the biggest play of the game for Duquesne because then they came down and got a stop, and then Dunmartin hit the layup to really kind of put it out of reach. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so anyone who had to miss that game like I am, I hopefully that gave you a, a good peace of mind as to what happened. Um, it seemed like it was a pretty good game, even though it seemed like uh, a lot of teams couldn't get things going. But uh, – Shout out to my uh, buddy, Chad Baker. Uh, I had him on the pod a few, uh, a few weeks ago, and um, he's just a, a big competitor, got a strong personality, um, but he really chill, chill dude off the court. Um, I, didn't, I didn't expect that. Um, but actually, one last question, though. Like, how was Jacob Gilliard in this game? Like, was he kind of shut down a little bit? Yeah, so he 
as a, as a Duquesne fan, I will say he got me worried immediately. He hit two huge shots, like probably within the first three or four possessions of the game, a beautiful jumper, a big three. And I thought he was going to pick up some of the scoring slack from Blake Francis. That was really his biggest impact of the game was right then and there. Tavian Dunmartin and his backup Tyson Acuff both did a great job on defense on him. He, he gave his normal, he gave his normal kind of 12 points, a bunch of great assists, but he was never able to take over the game. Gotcha. Um, so that ends Richmond's season. They uh, honestly uh, very kind of not. I think they're going to make the NIT. That's what I was just going to go with. So like it, um, it like ends their season as far as getting to like the NCAA tournament. Um, but I was going to ask like so news news that kind of broke this week. The NIT uh, took their number of teams down to 16 if i'm correct so um that that kind of limits some teams uh that might have made it before on the back end including maybe dayton um if if they don't end up winning the tournament here but uh do you do you think richmond will make it i think you answered my question but go ahead yeah i think so i can honestly say i haven't delved that deep into the bubble this that's a project for next week I, with the A-10 tournament being moved up, it actually frees me up more time to kind of go back and study that. But the fact that Joe Lenardi still had them kind of on the fringes of the bubble going into today, they weren't on his like first eight missing it sheet, which I guess is half the NIT field this year. But I would imagine he probably had them somewhere 10th, 11th team out. This is not a horrendous loss, so maybe right now they're looking at a four seed. I won't say it's a lock, but I, I feel like they will make the NIT. And if two or three teams decide to opt out, like if Duke feels like they're too good to go to the NIT in a COVID season, then I'd be really surprised if Richmond doesn't make it. Yeah, I, I am too. And I know uh, some people might think, you know, well, they got these like losses. You know, Duquesne's not that great of a loss, not that great of a you know, loss and, you know, they lost to LaSalle, they lost to St. Joe. Well, you know, they have like basically the, one of the best wins in the entire, like one of the best wins uh, in the conference with Loyola Chicago, you know, and they, they got a pretty decent resume. I mean, not like NCAA, NCAA tournament quality, but like, you know, it's, it's a NIT quality resume. So I think they would make it as well, but you know, I, I keep getting thrown off by, not selection Sunday, not being this upcoming weekend like that. I'm just so trained to thinking we have a game on Sunday and then like three hours later, we'll have a bracket, but we won't have any of that for another week. Yeah. Instead we get wildly late Saturday games and I've said it on the pod. I'm very excited for how Twitter's going to be at about 10 30 PM on Saturday, on Saturday night when the second semifinals deep in the second half. Yeah, so I, yeah, that's crazy. Um, because normally those games are like in the afternoon, right? <laughs> yeah, I think it's like one and three typically. Instead, it's six and nine this year. Hey, that's perfect. I'll be out of town this weekend, so I'll be back at I'll be back in the hotel, <laughs> and I can watch the game. So and live tweet and BS with you all. But anyway, that's Duquesne and Richmond. Uh, we're gonna move on to a game that basically was not competitive from any point. Uh, Mass, uh, UMass beat St. Joe's 100 to 66 and, uh, Tyler caught the first half of this game. 
which was pretty meaningless about halfway through. And I caught the second half, which was meaningless the entire way through. <laughs> um, it was, it was honestly, I'm kind of impressed and not saying that because, you know, Oh, St. Joe's is a good team. That team was riding high, like coming in, like with four wins in a row, two of them were against pretty decent opponents in Dayton and Richmond. And the other two were against city rivals. And those games are always tough, you know? So just, just looking at this game, like it just seemed like St. Joe's couldn't get anything going and UMass could get everything going. Like they shot, they shot 73% from two. Um, they came down to earth a little bit and shot 39% from three, which is still very good for them. Uh, but St. Joe's like they're, they shot 29% from three. And we know this team is a make it or break it team from three. Um, you know, I'm just looking at their points like Jordan Hall had a good game and you know ryan daly seven points so obviously not the effort they want from their senior guy but you know you got to tip your cap to umass they played a really good game um so what what say you about this one so i mean look i think we all knew st joe's d was not going to be able to stop umass my big question going into this game was the flip side would umass d be able to stop st joe's and most specifically, Ryan Daly. I'm a lot more confident in UMass's interior D than on the perimeter. And I'm not entirely sure they did. I think they did a good job of shutting down Taylor Funk early on. But other than that, St. Joe's made a lot of mistakes throughout that first half. The Daly was forcing up shots. Guys were basically just taking frustration shots at the end of possessions. They really weren't working hard to get themselves open. And once that had happened, UMass just kind of opened the floodgates on the other end. St. Joe's perimeter D completely fell apart. UMass was now granted they got hot on their own, right? But UMass was getting tons and tons of open threes. And to me, when I realized that game was going to be over was when Ronnie DeGray, who, you know, he's a great player. I really like him. I like what he's going to bring in the future, but he is not a low post scorer and he was getting any shot he wanted in the paint. I think he posted up funk twice in like a two minute span, hit a nice little hook shot and then did an up and under on him. And that's when you started to realize St. Joe's was not going to be able to stop them. Yeah. I mean, I got that from the second half too. Like they just kept doing the same thing. It got a little chippy. Um, Taylor funk and uh, Trey Mitchell were getting a little chippy. So that made it a little interesting, at least from my viewing standpoint. Um, but obviously the game was kind of over by like, you know, the 15 minute mark, if you wanted to say, because I mean, by that point, UMass had gone up by like 30. Um, I'm pretty sure St. Joe's didn't get more than within like 25 at one point. Um, so it, it just wasn't competitive. And the, and the St. Joe's magic kind of died off in this one. I, I did take St. Joe's to cover. <laughs> God, Cause the, the problem is, is like, I, I was like, okay, they're like riding high right now. They're shooting the ball extremely well. They're four and since Ryan Daly came back, Ryan and Taylor Funk look really good together. And UMass hasn't looked particularly sharp since coming off the COVID pause. I mean, they played pretty two pretty decent opponents in Richmond and UMass or not uh, St. Louis, but you know, they just Trey Mitchell didn't look good in those games and they kind of just got blown out. And I'm like, 
okay, like maybe this might be the day that St. Joe's can get it done for all the pillow fights of years past that couldn't make it past Thursday. But um, it was not to be for this one. Um, do you have any final thoughts on this one? Because this one was just like way too, you know, not not much more to say, you know. Yeah, so, and I'll be honest, a lot of how I viewed the prism of most of these games, because I, I really didn't do much in the way of betting today. Um, obviously, we didn't do any kind of preview pod over at the three bid for these games. Most of how I kind of previewed these in my mind was, who was I going to take for my survivor pool pick? And so I thought long and hard about UMass. And I'll be honest, I figured that the path to an easy UMass win was just a dominant Trey Mitchell performance. And if you had told me they were going to put up 100 points in this game, I would have said, wow, did Mitchell have 35? And so the fact that he played kind of a below average game for himself just really blew my mind. The story for UMass had nothing to do with him. It was about the Gray and Fernandes and Carl Pierre and TJ Weeks, who finally, finally had a great game this season. Yeah, he uh, he was very good today. Um, 14 points, three rebounds, assists, uh, two steals, uh, looking really good. Um, triple nickel, though, Javon Garcia, 17 points five rebounds and seven assists so shout out javon for that triple nickel performance <laughs> yeah and um, sh- shout out to weeks for finally p- first time this season providing some value to my property on tj weeks archipelago for, for, <laughs> for those who don't know about like waiters island or julius randall hill my investments are in tj weeks archipelago i i've been all in on that guy since last year so yeah, I like him too. It's just like he's been really injured, you know, and now he's he's healthy, come, uh, key contributor off the bench now. So he's looking pretty good. Um, Jordan Hall also had a triple nickel, 18 points, six rebounds, five assists. Uh, so, and that kid's a freshman. Cameron and Brown looks really uh, good. Oh, wait, never mind. I'm looking at the offensive rebounds. I thought Cameron Brown had one for a second there too. Yeah, no, 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 no. Um, kind of uh, getting kind of close though. But Jordan Hall, man, that guy, that kid's gonna be special for the next three years at uh, St. Joe's. Um, but let's move on to uh, our favorite result of the day. Um, well, at least you probably tied, right? Um, but Dayton outlasted Rhode Island, eighty-four to seventy-two. Um, it was a completely dominant performance by E.B. Watson who finished with 25 points, shot six of 11 from three, uh, added three assists too. Um, Jalen Crutcher, 14 points, four rebounds, uh, and seven assists, um, for Rhode Island. It was, uh, Malik Martin had a very good game. I honestly kind of quiet. Cause like Fats Russell got like all the, uh, hullabaloo from the announcers and everything. Um, you know, Antoine Walker got a couple shout outs. Um, Poor Alan Burt Betran for uh, that injury. It just looked really bad. And I'm kind of mad at M- M- NBC Sports for having the sound on like during that entire cry oh, for that help. That was brutal. God, I was so mad. I was like, thank God they're canceled. Um, but <laughs> and anyway, uh, just it was very close early on. Um, and I was I was starting to get in those jitters of the I'm going to be really upset if they lose this game because uh jeremy shepherd uh arguably rhode island's best player um was out for this game 
And then Fats got hurt kind of in the middle of this game. Alan Beatran was putting up some significant minutes. He had finished with 14 and 10, but like he was putting up some good numbers. He was two of two of three from the arc before going out. And I was kind of, I was starting to get a little angry, but once all that started to happen, I think Dayton started to kind of lock it up defensively a little more. Um, and you know, eventually they led to buckets. Plus it doesn't help that EB Watson was literally on fire, like the entire game. <laughs> um, that dude just, I, I swear, I don't think the ball touched the net out of every six, all six shots from three that he, he took. I don't think any of them hit the rim. Like they just shot through. It's like, it's like playing bags or cornhole. That's what I call it in Indiana. Um, like when you just throw a bag and it just like, it doesn't hit anywhere on the board except through the hole. That's what I thought of. Like every time he shot it, um, just really impressive. Um, but some other guys, uh, Moose Amsil just had a good game too, 14 points. Um, I talked about Jalen. Um, I thought, I thought Rodney had a pretty decent game. Um, RJ Blakeney did a lot of nitty gritty work. You know, just I think it all came together as a complete performance down the stretch. Um, but Tyler, what do you think about this one? I I truly felt like Dayton dominated that whole game. Uh, other than about a five minute stretch there in the second half when Rhode Island closed that lead back down to two, I, I felt like the Flyers were in control the whole way through. Really, just because Rhode Island didn't have Shepard. Fats was not good at any point in that game. I don't know what the announcers were talking about there. Yeah, I know. Jordy completely shut down Mikel Mitchell in that game. He took him out of the equation. Really, the only reason Rhodey stayed in it was because of three guys. Malik Martin, who you mentioned, I thought he was by far the best player for them in that game. He had a career night with 17 points and really was the one guy that Dayton couldn't figure out. Antoine Walker had some great moments. And Alan Beatrand was really good. And I think that injury not only knocked the air out of the, out of the ball for them, I think it actually really hurt them on the court because he was giving them one of his best games of the season before he went down. And it actually really hurt them to not have him out there. Yeah, it, it was pretty crazy. Cause like um, when that Alan Beatrand injury happened i go wow that really sucks because that looks like it hurt really bad but at the same time i was also like you know i think that's like that their last cry for help just like left the building right because like as you said fats was just not good like and i i know a lot of people rag on facts when he's not good but like if the dude can get 20 points from all free throws then you get 20 points from all free throws like that's just you know, that's just doing the, doing whatever it takes to get your team to win. But you're right about Jordy. And I've been a little critical on Jordy just, um, just offensively, just like when it trying to fit the scheme of like the offensive game plan. But once Mikel Mitchell went out, he had, uh, with four fouls, he eventually fouled out. Um, I think Dayton really took advantage of that. I mean, he only had four points, but he was able to lock down the interior defense. And that's where he really shines is his interior defense. Um, Mikel Mitchell actually ended up with five turnovers on the game. So uh, really promising effort from Jordy. And they're definitely going to need that kind of a performance going into the game tomorrow at VCU. But uh, the other thing I want to highlight was Kobe Bray. Uh, eight points. 
um, including two for two from three. And both of them were from that same spot right by the Dayton bench. So that was really encouraging to see. I think he is like one of the smoothest jumpers on the team. Um, Cause Watson's got that high arcing one. Yeah. You're just like, it's just a rainbow and hopefully there's a pot of gold at the end. And Crutcher's just got these like prayers that look good. Um, but sometimes they can be a little bit erratic, but I think Kobe has a really beautiful jump shot. Um, what else do you have to say about this one? So first of all, let's just, let's be honest here. Ibby Watson has the nicest jump shot on this team and he has the <laughs> nicest jump shot of any Dayton player over possibly like the last decade. Ooh. But it's good, good, Ooh. good thing. I'll let you, I'll let you chew on that while I continue here, but um, you go ahead. I no, I'm sitting here thinking about other Dayton players with like really good shots, but like, you're, you you go ahead. I'm going to keep thinking here. Yeah, so Elijah Weaver, who I basically didn't play in this game. I'm actually a bigger fan of his than most. And so for me, I see I saw Kobe Bray on the floor there with about nine minutes left. And honestly, I'm thinking in my head, okay, why is he out here? Like, this is just not the moment. He hasn't played that many minutes this year. And wow, was I wrong. He was ready for the moment. He hit two big threes. And he hit a big three in the St. Bonaventure game right around the time I was thinking the same thing last game. So I will hold my Kobe Brea uh, criticisms for the rest of the season. He just hasn't played a ton. And it's kind of weird to me that Grant is now leaning on him a lot more in these huge moments, but he stepped up and I was very impressed. But my biggest thought of the game, we finally got the, wow, Ibby Watson is the best player on this court game. And I've been waiting all year for it. I've been ready for him to do it all season. And for the first three quarters of that game, he was better than Crutcher. He was better than Fats. And Ibby's Inferno was just absolutely roaring. That guy can hit a jumper from anywhere in any situation. And for him, I feel like it's just an issue of aggression a lot of the time. Yeah. I could I could see that. Um, you know, you know what's crazy? Uh I was just, you know, examining this box score too a little bit further, but uh, Kobe Brea led the team uh, in defensive rebounding today <laughs> with, with six. That's impressive. <laughs> I'm actually very impressed. Like you got to give it to him and I'm not going to talk about the hair. He can do whatever he wants as long as he hit, keeps hitting big shots. Um, but the one that I've always thought has had the most beautiful jump shot for Dayton is uh, Jordan Seibert. That was always my favorite jump shot. Um, EB's is good too. I just like, I don't know. There's something about Jordan Seibert shot that like, whenever it was up, you, you knew it was going in or out, but like EB's, I always think like, Ooh, it might be short. It might be short. And I'm cringy. And I'm like, Oh, it went in. And then I'm like, Oh, it might be a little long. You know, like I, maybe my depth perception is not right with the TV, but like, you know, who knows? Um, but yeah. Um, we can, uh, any, any final thoughts on this one, uh, before we move on to the last one? Yeah, I, I have one, one kind of big overarching thought, and this is, and I guess we'll, we'll talk about this more when we preview tomorrow's games, but the biggest reason why I have a lot of confidence in Dayton coming out of this game, this was a, both the most aggressive that this team as a whole was on the offensive end all season, which has been my biggest bugaboo all year. Those, no one on the court was afraid everyone was attacking the rim in two or I guess in B it's not a and two it's a and B um, 
that was just the best that the team moved the ball overall. It, it reminded me of a game of last year, of a game from last year. Just the beautiful ball movement from the secondary guys. Because we really just haven't gotten that from anyone besides Crutcher this year. Rodney Chapman had, I thought, his best offensive game of the year just because of the fact that he was under control. And every time he touched the ball, he was either getting to the rim or just getting rid of it. No, Nothing stupid from him. He made two beautiful pocket passes when they were really extending the lead halfway through the second half. And just everyone was in sync. The goal was to get to the rim or give the ball up if you couldn't. And I, I think Rodney really kind of epitomized that philosophy today. I was, I came away honestly probably more impressed with their offense today than any other game this year. Yeah, Rodney Chapman, uh, seven assists, and along with Jalen Crutcher, seven assists. Um, are you one last thing though? Are you a little worried about Elijah Weaver? Only three minutes today didn't contribute really anything at a turnover. I don't know. What, what do you think about him? No, I mean, Weaver comes and goes. We've known that all year, and with Chapman back, they don't need him anymore. And so it, well, I'll say they need somebody to give them about 15 minutes as a backcourt backup just each game. But if Kobe Bray is going to play well and Rodney Chapman is going to play well, then Elijah Weaver becomes and this becomes just kind of a luxury item. And he didn't do much in his three minutes. Grant felt clearly felt more comfortable going to Bray in the second half. And I don't think either of us are in a position to criticize that decision. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But the and the other thing too, if like Dayton fans want to feel a little positive, is like you got like your backup point guard on a lot of rest, and we have a back to back against, you know, VCU. So like, you know, if Chadman's not feeling it tomorrow or whatever, you know, uh you got a guy that's fresh off the bench that can come and give you some good minutes. Plus plus Elijah's seen them uh twice already. So that helps too. Um, yeah, and look, I'm not thinking Kobe Bray is going to be bringing the ball up much against the press tomorrow. And if Grant's going to continue with his normal thing of not having Crutcher be the guy to do it, then we then all of a sudden they're going to need Weaver to make up for not doing much today. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's 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 recap this uh, George Mason George Washington game real quick, and then we can get into our game picks uh, for tomorrow so george mason 73 george washington 59 the colonials led at halftime in this one um it was very interesting throughout and then george mason kind of turned on the jets made some good defensive plays kind of shut down uh jameson battle and james bishop after a while um even though james bishop did have 29 points um he kind of was back to his usual self but it did not result in a win for George Washington. Um, uh, George Mason, you know, this is a team that I thought had a lot of good little pieces that if it comes together, they could look like a good team, you know? And for a while, I felt like a fool this season. And then, you know, I thought that, you know, Javon Green and Jordan Miller, they needed to be the primary guys and that AJ Wilson was going to be a good compliment. Um, you know, he's not like the biggest offensive guy, but like, he's obviously your defensive guy, your rebounds guy. And I always thought that Joshua Duro had a lot of good touch for a big man. Um, he kind of played like that Kendrick Perkins kind of play, you know, big baby Davis, 
uh, kind of play, you know, had that good offensive touch. So, and now we've seen it from Mason. They're kind of putting it together. Dave Paulson is putting for all the criticism he gets from whoever in the A-10, um, he's put together some very good coaching performances. Now, I know it's against lesser competition, but Mason used to lose these games like pretty easily. Like fans used to go into this game into games like this and think, well, George Washington barely beat Fordham, so that means they're gonna uh, beat Mason by four tomorrow. You know, like it's that kind of stuff. And I don't feel that way about Mason, this Mason team in particular anymore. Like it, I don't know. What What did you think about this one? I know I'm going off on a tangent about George Mason, my feelings, but I thought they had a pretty good game. Um, you know, it was a little close, but they ended up pulling up down the stretch because, I mean, George Washington just kind of looked tired. But what do you think? So, first of all, I think we should just make an agreement here to not speak about anything that happened in the first half of that game because that was just awful <laughs> to watch. But Oh, true. Mason made the right halftime adjustments. They scored 51 points in the second half after an abysmal showing on that end in the first half. And, look, I've said all year, GW has no rim protection. Getting Ricky Lindo helped them out a little bit in that regard, but – especially without Matt Moyer, who's their best low post defender. Like they had nothing. They had no ability to stop Mason at the rim in this game. And, you know, Dave Paulson figured out a nice little trick that if he just put Josh Aduro at the foul line, then there was no defense there whatsoever. And so he would do that almost every single play in the second half. And that freed up two things. It freed up Jordan Miller to just get downhill crash through guys and finish it and finish his layups. And, you know, he's had a terrific season, but the other guy and the man that I thought was really the MVP to this game opening up was the freshman Ronald polite. And the stats don't scream huge game. He only attempted 10 shots, but he went seven for 10. And I'll say it for the Dayton fans. He had a Ryan Mikesell type game, every little cut, every little movement he had off the ball was completely perfect. And so as the defense scrambled around him, he just continued to find that little pocket of space, a three here, a layup there. And before you knew it, you blinked and he was at 15 points already. This is a guy who averages less than two points a game, but he was the perfect guy to beat that defense tonight. Yeah, he's a a good little player. And I've always thought he uh, was going to be a good player this year too. Um, We kind of seen him off and on throughout the year, but I think finally he – he really shined tonight is what he can be for Mason for next couple of years. Um, but uh, yeah, he had, a, he had a great game uh, along with uh, Jordan Miller. Um, he just, uh, Jordan Miller looked really aggressive tonight. I really enjoyed watching him, uh, especially in the defensive end, turning into offense. Um, he, I thought he was a baller tonight. Um, but any, anything else from this one? Yeah, I, I will keep this brief because this game was just really ugly until the final few minutes when it when things kind of opened up. But yeah. there was a lot of praise being hate, heaped on James Bishop for putting up 29 points in this game, which I believe is career high. Am I wrong in thinking that that was one of the most empty 29-point performances I've ever seen? Like, he <laughs> just – he dominated the ball every single possession. I This is this was like a Russell Westbrook type thing. He ends. He ended up going nine for 24. He took a ton of twos, like a half a step inside the three-point line. 
And I just, I never felt like they had a good offensive possession the entire game. There was one where Tyler Brelsford dipped in and threw a beautiful pocket pass to Chase Parr. And it just clanged right off of Parr's hands because he just literally did not think that anyone was going to throw him a nice pass in that game. And I just, I had no confidence in the Colonials being able to get to 60 points at any point in the game. And I can't believe they got above 40, honestly. Yeah, I agree there. They, it really seemed like down the stretch because, because like you mentioned that play and I, I remember that play too. And I'm just, I, I sat there in my living room and I go, man, they can't get anything from anyone. And I think that's part of the reason why we saw James Bishop pretty much try and take over for GW and play super Superman because they weren't going to get anything from anyone. I mean, battle was good in the first half, but like, I mean, he tailed off and then no one else put up more than what eight points. So like they weren't going to, if they were going to get back in this game or even keep up, it was going to be because James Bishop put up like over 30 points or even 35 points. And I mean, I 29 is still fantastic. Um, but you know, it, it it's not going to be enough to be at George, George Mason. That's going to, have more of a well-rounded attack and well-rounded team. Um, but we don't need to go that much more into this one. Cause I mean, like you said, it was just, uh, it was grueling to watch until about like five minutes to go. So uh, we're going to move on to our game picks. Uh, we'll start with St. Bonaventure and Duquesne. So uh, who you got in this one? As much as I love the Dukes, um, and I, I actually, this is the one that I'll throw out a score for just because I did put out an official score prediction on my pod earlier today. Um, I'll take the Bonnies 75-73. We've seen these teams play twice this year. Uh, the first one up at the Riley Center was maybe Duquesne's worst offensive performance of the year. Might have been St. Bonaventure's worst offensive performance of the year too, but Kyle Lofton just bailed them out time and time again. Um, super ugly game. Can't take much from that. But the one out at La Roche on Duquesne's technical home court in early February was a pretty close game. The Dukes fell behind in the first half, made a great second half comeback. And, and what we've really seen between those two games is that Jalen Attaway is the one guy in this conference who's well set physically to kind of take Marcus Weathers out. He had two poor games. And the Dukes don't have anyone who's necessarily set to take out Kyle Lofton. Now, at this point, I feel like two of their freshmen, Tyson Acuff and Mike Bekelja, are playing a lot better on defense than they were at that point. They're going to help in that regard. And I think the Duquesne's freshmen between Baker, Acuff, and Toby O'Connor are just better now than they were in those two games. I think they're all going to play better than they did the last two times against Bonaventure. I think Michael Hughes and... Asuna Shunahi are going to kind of continue to offset each other. So I feel like this is going to be a super competitive game. Duquesne's going to give Bonaventure all that they got, but I, I just, I can't pick against the Bonnies with their season, maybe on the line. I'm not sure they can afford another Q3 loss, but if they can avoid it and then potentially end up against St. Louis on Saturday, they're in a, they're in a great shape to go dancing. So I think the Bonnies pull it out. I just, I'm going to take the better team at the in the end, but it's going to be a fantastic game to watch. I agree here, man. I I do also have the Bonnies winning this one. Um, I will say though, like I mentioned this before, 
uh, on a couple on the last couple pods I've been on, but Duquesne plays really well each time they play another the opponent, like for a second or third time. Like we saw them get, you know, kind of trounced by Rhode Island and then they come back and beat Rhode Island. Um, We've also seen them, you know, lose to Dayton and then they come back and beat Dayton. Uh, They, you know, they kind of lost pretty badly to St. Bonaventure the first time and they only lost by four the last time. Ken Palm has this as an eight point St. Bonaventure win. I'm going to disagree with that a little bit. I think it'll come down to like a one possession kind of game. Just because number one, the one seed is jinxed in this tournament, and number two, because Keith Dambrot's a good coach. Like he, he's a very good. Uh, you know, they're kind of like a second half team. You know, he's great adjustments coach. Um, I think his guys gained a lot of confidence today, beating Richmond. Um, so I'm gonna say do you can uh, St. Bonaventure wins in the end though. I'm gonna say like 68 to 67. It just be, I don't think it's going to be as high scoring just because the first two games really weren't high scoring and these teams kind of play a little slower. So um, that's that game. Yeah. Uh, and one last thing I want to throw in uh, the main reason I went high scoring, Jaron Holmes and all the Duquesne freshmen struggled offensively in the first two games. That won't continue for all of them. I think both teams will get a little boost there. But I'm glad you brought up the Duquesne plays teams better the second time they play them. And I think that's completely true. You look at Dayton, St. Bonaventure, or Rhode Island, as you mentioned. But I think the big thing is Duquesne's just a better team than they were in mid-January. They're a better team than they were at the beginning of February. They're playing the best ball of the season right now. And so I know they're the nine seed, but they need to be, they need to be taken as being, da- as being more dangerous than that because they're playing like a four or a five seed these final weeks of the year. Yeah, very true. Um, they... I also think St. Bonaventure, as long as they win this game, they will have no problem getting in the tournament. Like you're right. I, we really don't know if they can take another quad lead. Like, obviously they shouldn't, you know, like, duh, but you know, we've seen teams get in before with just quad three losses and, you know, and no quad fours. Um, So I don't know, but also this conference is, been known to get snubbed many times including the bonnies so let's just not lose this game st bonaventure and you'll be fine and teams have been known to get snubbed more so when they're kind of in the four five range maybe not uh, maybe didn't have a great conference season i kind of think of this team a little bit i think this team will get treated a little bit more like the dayton team that lost to the eight seed davidson where I think everyone came out of that and almost got nervous that they were going to end up on the bubble. And then, wow, how are they a seven seed? Um, I, I, if Bonaventure takes care of business tomorrow, even if they get annihilated on Saturday, I see them comfortably as about a nine, maybe a 10 seed. Yeah, same here. Um, but let's move on to the next bubble team. Um, St. Louis is in action tomorrow. Uh, right around the afternoon, they take on UMass that one today. Um, what do you got for this one? I'm I'm going to take the Billikens and the Billikens possibly big here. Look, Trey Mitchell just clearly not been the same coming back from his injury. I don't think he's at 100% health. This St. Louis team is a terrible matchup for UMass already, as we saw, God, just four days ago. Um 
they have the perimeter defenders to lock down the guys who were red hot shooters today. I don't think UMass is going to be able to do that again. And so basically for me, if you're going to tell me to try to come up with a scenario that UMass wins this game, it has to be Trey Mitchell as a superstar. And we just don't have the proof over these last three games that that's going to happen right now. He's just, he's not a hundred percent. Even that St. Louis has a ton of defenders to throw at him. Even if he can get Hassan French into early foul trouble, here comes Martin Lindzen. Here comes Jimmy Bell. I, I feel good about St. Louis's defense right now. I don't feel great about their offense, but if they can shut down UMass the way I think they will, I'm not sure it matters if their offense is good. Yeah, I'm with you here. There's people that are really thinking UMass has a good matchup here. And I'm just like, did you see the game they that don't. happened four days ago? Right? Like, it, like there, UMass is a team that is like, they have to prove they can beat a good team before I can take them, you know? And I know I kind of, uh, in the bracket challenge, took St. Joe's. And that was honestly just like a miracle pick because I know a lot of people were picking UMass to win that game. So I'm like, well, if I'm going to win this bracket challenge outright, then I better pick a ma- an upset that has a really has a decent chance to happen. And I thought maybe that was St. Joe's, but obviously that was wrong. But everyone's wrong in brackets, so whatever. But anyway, I really just agree with you here. UMass... I just don't see it coming from them. Ken Palm has uh, St. Louis winning by six, 76 to 70. I think the score is about like the totals about right. Um, I could see, but like you said, I can see it being kind of a blowout and St. Louis kind of getting in the eighties when UMass staying in the sixties, Trey Mitchell doesn't look healthy. You're right. And I think, we we've kind of saw that and we were like, okay, you know, Trey Mitchell needs to have, well, if they're going to win and score a hundred points, Trey Mitchell's probably going to have 30 of them. Right. Well, he had only 14 of them today. Yep. So, I mean, that gives that's a testament to the other players on UMass, but you know, I think St. Louis is really, they, like you said, they have the guys that can, that can guard Trey and just, I mean, I think St. Joe's tried to do that today. They tried to really force someone else to beat them and everyone else did, but everyone on St. Louis is a pretty good defender. So like they're, they're going to shut them down. Um, and I don't know there, I don't think there's much more to it than that. I think we just saw like a preview of it four days ago and we're going to see the same movie again. Yeah. And look, and this is how I thought about Dayton, Rhode Island today. At some point, you need to just remember that this is a senior-laden team with their backs against the wall, their season possibly about to end if they lose tomorrow, and they're just better. Like, St. Louis is just a better team than UMass. Their five losses this year are to a good VCU team and then super high-ceiling Dayton and Minnesota teams who who played their best games of the year against them. Let's, let's just ignore that LaSalle loss. That was weird, and they were coming off the COVID pause, but... Like it's the conference tournament at this point, if I'm trying to make a tough pick and I know that one team is just a whole notch better than the other, I'm just rolling with that team. And that's how I feel about this game. Yeah. I'm with you here. Um, But let's move on to probably the most intriguing game that's going on tomorrow. Um, I think that's Dayton and VCU, obviously round three, Um, you know, VCU kind of I'm kind of worried about this game because VCU did play them 
like tough the first two times. Now we don't know how their lineup's going to look because I mean, from what the rumor mill has, I think VCU is rolling bones and uh, Williams out there tomorrow. Um, I just, that scares me a little bit. Um, But, you know, I also think this Dayton team has a lot of confidence because number one, what has been their kryptonite all year? Um, They're kind of not getting up for these games against lesser opponents. They are losing them, you know, after having big big leagues, leads, sorry, AKA against like LaSalle and uh, Rhode Island. And today they kind of got over the hump a little bit. I mean, when it mattered most, right? Because, I mean, they could have easily faltered in that Rhode Island game, and they had absolutely no business losing that game today. Uh, And they kind of proved that down the stretch. They pulled it out. And not to mention, they just beat the Bonnies in in Olean. So, like, I I think this Dayton team has a lot of confidence. I think, um, you know, it's very encouraging to see because Crutcher didn't have his best game today. He had a good game. It wasn't, like, great, and he didn't need to be great. Um, but we've seen the first two games against VCU that Dayton got or Jalen Crutcher got shut down by VCU and VCU basically forced anyone else to beat them. Well, what's happened the past two games, Crutcher is fouled out and St. Bon and Dayton was forced to have someone else beat St. Bonaventure, which happened. And then today, I think Rhode Island tried to neutralize Jalen Crutcher a little bit and force someone else to beat them. And look what happened. E.B. Watson pretty much beat them all by himself with a little bit more contribution from some other guys that you wouldn't think, like Kobe Brea and R.J. Blakeney. And, you know, and Mustafa had 14 points. So I don't know, man. I, I'm i not going to make a game pick yet. I'm, I'm going to keep thinking about it because I'm not going to go by my bracket probably, but – you know, what do you think about this game? So when you factor it, first off, when you factor in that, you know, Dayton's absolutely going to wake up for this game. So it's not going to be one of their complete dud Fordham performances. And it's just, it's become very clear that if Bones plays, which I would kind of be surprised if he doesn't, he is nowhere near a hundred percent. And Vince Williams might not be anywhere near a hundred percent either. So With all that being said, I think these two teams are pretty close to being even right now. And so for me, the biggest question, do you want to bet on or against Anthony Grant? Because Dayton has just gotten slapped right across the face by that press twice this year. And the first game, we saw him get really cute with it. He was trying to use Jalen Crutcher as a secondary outlet to try to break the press for easy buckets. The second game, he didn't do that quite as much. He was willing to just let Crutcher take it up the court and was okay with him having to expend the energy. I personally think you just got to put the ball in the hands of the guy you know is not turning it over and just let him do his thing. Now, maybe Grant sees another solution to this, but quite frankly now, they've gotten crushed by the same thing twice. They have all the film on it. He needs to figure out how to adjust. And if he does, I'm not sure VCU has another answer to it. Bones did great. Bones was great on defense, guarding Crutcher man on man in both of those games. Well, if he's not 100%, then that's probably not going to happen again. And with that all being said, I'm going to put my trust in Grant here. I think the third time's the charm. I don't think VCU is going to be able to beat them the same way three times in a row. 
And if they were healthy, this is a very different conversation, but I'm taking the flyers. You know, man, I'm kind of with you on this one too. Um, you know, I, I kind of, I don't believe in that. It's hard to beat someone three times. We've seen it happen. Like we can cut the bullshit about that, but like, you know, I, there's a cut. There's another thing too. Like both those VCU games, we didn't have Rodney Chapman, and I'm I'm kind of looking last year at to guard bones, right? Exactly, and I think that would be that'll be huge because he's been very good defensively, and he showed that today against Rhodey. He showed it today again or last week against St. Bonaventure. Earlier this week, excuse me, against St. Bonaventure. Um, you know, and I I really think that he's going to be a big X factor in this game. Um, I know that he's been kind of a turnover problem in the past with this, but, um, you know, he hasn't been as much since he's come back from injury. Um, He's also capable of scoring. So there's another outlet. I mean, I think people forget he scored over 20 points against Mississippi this year, which was another very good defensive team um, that forced someone else besides Jalen Crutcher to beat them. And, you know, I, and plus I, even though bones and Williams are coming back, uh, I think you're right. They're not going to be as healthy. And I know this is kind of a Homer pick, um, everything, all, all the logic that we've seen so far this year says pick VCU, but I'm with you. I'm going to take Dayton as the, in the upset today, uh, tomorrow. Yeah. And I'm so glad you mentioned Chapman. I had, I'd actually forgotten he didn't play in the second game, but I don't, I don't care if he gives them zero points tomorrow. I don't care if he goes over eight from the field. He looked healthy today against fats, which by the way, he did not when they played Rhode Island last time, but he has never gotten the proper recognition. I personally believe he was the best defender on last year's a level defense. Mm -hmm. I put him on my, on my old defensive team. I can't believe he didn't make it for the real conference awards, but he's going to cause bones. He's going to put bones through a nightmare tomorrow. And he's going to have to work way harder than he did in those first two games. And at some point that that ankle is going to wear on him. Yeah, I think so too. Um, Yeah. I had to look up to make sure Rodney didn't, uh, that he didn't play earlier. And it was early enough um, that he was not in that game. Uh, But today he had three steals um, against that Rhode Island team. And then he didn't have any against, uh, St. Bonaventure, but I thought that was a whole complete team effort against Bona. Um, but yeah, Ken Palm has this as a six point VCU win. Um, and honestly, I don't blame him. I'm just kind of, you know, looking at it at another side, maybe to think that Dayton pulls this one out. Um, and they honestly looked looked pretty good today. Um, I will say that. Uh, moving on to the last game on our list, we have Mason and Davidson. Um, so give me your thoughts on this one. For me, I see this as a McKillop versus Paulson, a discipline versus undisciplined, if you will. <laughs> Look, we saw it in the first half with George Mason today. A lot of times they just tend to get into the muck with their offense where they don't see the opportunities that the defense has given them. They just kind of play their own little one-on-one games and whoever's ready to take the first shot takes the shot. Now they did a great job of adjusting in the second half and I want to give them credit for that. But if they do that tomorrow against a great offensive Davidson team against Bob McKillop, 
they will just get eaten alive quite literally by the Wildcats. I don't, I don't see any specific thing in the matchup besides that that makes me believe in Davidson. I'm not sure Davidson's as good as your typical three seed, but these are the kind of games where Bob McKillop just absolutely cleans up, where the other team is just making constant mistakes. And, you know, I, I see that happening tomorrow. I think we're going we're gonna to look at this box score at the end. George Mason's going to end up putting up 55 points, and no one on Davidson will have a great game, but Kellen Grady will find his way to 15, and either Lee or Collins will hit three threes each. Um, I'm not sure they're going to be able to establish Luka Brankovic, which has been something that's really helped them in big games. Maybe that's one of the ways that Mason's kind of gains an edge, but I'll just take the steady hand of, the, of Davidson. You know, I'm I'm having a I'm having a hard time picking this one just because I'm I'm comparing them on Ken Palm here. You know, that's kind of what I that's kind of my basis of like comparing. Like I don't try to get too analytical because sometimes, you know, you, you gotta use some like gut judgment too. Um I think these teams are a lot more even than people think. Um, you know, Mason has a little bit less of an offense, but Davidson doesn't have much of a defense. Well as you know, we all know Davidson's offense is very efficient and Mason's defense, you know, has gotten a lot better um, throughout the year. Like they're setting that in conference play that they, they're fourth and uh, best efficient, uh, efficient defense. Um, so I'm, I'm sitting looking at this game and my gut is saying, you know, pick Davidson. They're, they're probably the better team, but I don't know. I feel like this could be an upset. You know, I, I don't know what it is. I think Mason has been playing very well. I think, well, number one, they're probably the hottest team in the league, right? I mean, I know the competition hasn't been that stellar, but I mean, they have a lot of confidence after that VCU win and they're riding it high. And I know they don't look that great in the beginning, but I think they finish games very well. And not to mention Davidson doesn't have much of a bench, so, and I know George Mason kind of used a little bit more of their bench today. Um, so they could get some guys some rest. So it might be a little bit more even as far as like conditioning and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I, you know what? I'm going to take George Mason to win this one by like a possession. And it's going to be like kind of a low scoring game because, uh, you know, Davidson plays a lot slower. Um, Mason tries to play a little faster, but. They're not that they're not that fast, not that efficient at it. Um, but yeah, I I think this could be a Mason win by one, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put a couple bucks on it just to make it more fun. <laughs> so I'll I will throw out one thing to that idea, and the the one piece that's kind of rolling around in my mind is I'm not entirely sure what Davidson is going to do to stop Jordan Miller, and if this becomes the Mason second half today where Paulson is really doing his best to get Miller moving downhill. I don't think there's a proper answer on Davidson's roster. Sam Benanga is a freshman who's a little bit slower compared to Miller. Um, Hyunjun Lee's a little bit slower too. I actually almost wonder if it might be the backup center, Nelson Bochi-Yidam, who gets the call to do that. But even then, Bochi-Yidam is a far better interior defender than a guy that you want chasing around a ball handler. So I'll throw that out as an X factor. I'm still taking Davidson, but if Jordan Miller has a big game, it becomes very, very interesting. Yeah, I could see that too. Um, I, I think he's looked very good over the past couple of weeks. 
Um, Ken Palm has this as a five-point Davidson win. So uh, we will see tomorrow. Um, but Tyler, this has been awesome. Do you have any final thoughts before we let you go off the pod? Um, no, I mean, I, I, I guess really the one big thing is people should not be underthinking Dayton here. I get it. They lost some terrible games this year, but they also beat a lot of really good teams that they shouldn't have St. Louis twice, uh, St. Bonaventure, both of the Mississippi schools. And the backs are against the wall. The season is almost over. Do not overthink this team because they're going to come out and play their best the rest of the way. So, Amen to that, my man. Amen to that. Um, my final thought is um, this is this was actually a pretty good day. Um, you know, not that many surprises. I think Duke I mean, I don't think Duquesne that was that much of a surprise just because we knew that Blake Francis would. Yeah, I know. Um, I think it. I think we all realized Duquesne had a legit shot to win this game once Blake Francis was out, and we knew Golden would still had like you know the hand contraption. But um, you know, I think tomorrow we're gonna have some really good games, and I'm pumped. Uh, you know, join us on Twitter at eight ten talk. Uh, at not underscore private pile. And then what's yours, Tyler? So we are at the number three bid league pod. Um, and if anybody's looking for just something to listen to before the games, we put out our awards. We put out a big episode on Monday where we talked about our awards picks. And then for anyone who didn't watch the Duquesne game like you, I had Johnny Heller and Adam Lindner on today. We put out a little mini pod just all about Duquesne and and how they played. Well, there you go, Duquesne fans or anyone that's interested in learning more about Duquesne. Uh, listen to these guys. They'll let you know what's going on. Uh, but for everyone on A10 Talk and the 3-Bid League pod, because this was a collaboration episode tonight, uh, we will see you tomorrow evening after A10 Talk. We recap the uh, – third round or quarterfinals for that matter. So we'll see you next time.